This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. Today we're in 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress for the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He who was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Thank you, Kat. Good morning and welcome to Antioch this morning. Those who are with us in person, that's always great, isn't it? To be in person at church and not watching a screen. For those who couldn't be here today, we welcome you in as well. I heard a speaker say five or six years ago that what we value as a church will be the determining factor for our products and practices. In other words, what we do and what we produce, right? Uh, and I remember him talking about, you know, one thing, one thing we look at is what we measure. Remember those, you remember those old churches? Maybe you grew up in one of those churches that <clears throat> on the front wall on one side or the other, it had a list of things. Remember that? A little sign and a list of things. What was on that list? Attendance? How many did we have last week? And sometimes, how many do we have in Sunday school, right? I remember, this, this, I'm getting off track here, but at the pastor's conference one time, this guy said, we're walking down the hall. He didn't know me from Adam. I didn't know him. He said, so uh, how many are you running in Sunday school? That's how he said it. How many are you running in Sunday school? I said, oh, we really discourage kids from running in Sunday school or really anywhere in the church. And he looked at me like, what's wrong with this guy? So, yeah, how many are you running in Sunday school? How many people came last week? And offering. Oh, yeah, the all-important offering, right? So what we measure sometimes is what we value the most. Uh, you know, I, I would like to, I think our goal here at Antioch, I don't think I know our goal here at Antioch is to produce maturing disciples of Jesus Christ, right, who make a difference in the world. So my goal over the next three weeks, we're going to have three Sundays between Genesis and 1 Peter. Just finished Genesis last week. For those of you who weren't here, there's 70 sermons online. Just go to sermonaudio.com, look for Antioch Community Church, and you'll find 70 sermons you can listen to in your spare time. But we're going to look at 1 Peter starting July 16th, Lord willing. But I'd like to take three Sundays and talk about five things we highly value at Antioch. I believe these values contribute to Antioch being a healthy and biblical church. Now, let me hasten to say these are not values for us in the sense that no one else is doing these or believes these, okay? We know that. Not at all. We know we're not the only one, and, and we must never presume that we're doing it all right here at Antioch, and everybody else is just, they're trying their best, but bless their hearts. They just don't, they haven't arrived yet, you know? Let's pray for them. We don't feel that way, and we should never feel that way. We're, we've not arrived. We're still trying to be the church God wants us to be, and day by day, we're taking steps hopefully in that direction. But because the household of God, as we just heard Kat read, is the, the, the household, the church of the living God, Christians need to think clearly and biblically about what we believe, what we value, and how we walk that out day by day. In other words, to use big words, we need to have correct orthodoxy, but we also have to, have to, correct, have, to have correct orthopraxy. Orthodoxy, what we believe, orthopraxy, how we practice what we believe. Otherwise, we're hypocrites, right? 
Now, as we saw in the text today, Paul says the church clearly stands upon the foundation of the gospel or really on the foundation of Jesus himself. He summarizes in poetic fashion, verse 16, he, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. There is no other foundation that exists upon which we can build a church, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Upon that foundation we build every week and every time we gather in the following ways. So let's look at two of those values today that we hold dear, and those are biblical worship and expository preaching. I heard a, ver- a quote this week that wonder, we, saw, sing, we sung about wonder, right? Wonder, this guy said, is the fertile ground from which worship comes. And I think that's a good way of looking at it. We worship because we wonder. W-O-N-D. Too many people out there, W-A-N-D, they're wandering. And we wonder at God, which makes us want to worship him all the more. So let's talk about biblical worship. Jesus said to the woman at the well, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. That's mind-blowing. The Father is seeking worshipers. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So worshiping God in spirit and in truth is biblical worship. That's what we want to do every time we gather. I like what Bob Coughlin said about worship. Christian worship is the response of God's redeemed people to his self-revelation that exalts God's glory in Christ in our minds, affections, and wills in the power of the Holy Spirit. I like the Trinitarian view there, which is what we are, of worship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is all involved in that as his people enter into worship with all their might. It's a response to God's worthship. Because he's worthy, because he's wor- he has worthship that, ex- that we can't even begin to imagine how great it is, we worship him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now listen, worship is not confined to a time or a place. We were created for the purpose of worshiping God. We are to worship God every time we take a breath. In everything that we do, in everything that we say, we, as followers of Jesus, worship God, right? But And we're, we're daily committed to growing in that. So when we gather here on Sunday morning, as I've said many times, This is a culmination of a week long of worship that we've all been engaged in. And we come in as the corporate body that's called Antioch and we worship him in spirit and truth together, which magnifies his praise as we do that as a body. But listen, our worship starts as a body when we walk in that door or that door or maybe the back door. However you came in, came through a window, that's when the worship begins, and it doesn't end until the corporate worship, until you walk out that door. That's what we're about on Sunday morning. As we like to say, we go hard after God on Sunday. Our corporate worship ramps up with Vic offering us, as he did today, hey, come on into the gates of praise. Come on in. Water's fine. We're going to worship God with all our might here, as Vic said from Psalm 100. And it continues as we lift up our voices. We have freedom in this place to worship the Lord as the Spirit leads. One 
One vital comment I usually hear from people who have just been to Antioch for the first time is, after, or maybe after a few times, they'll say that they love the worship. They love, and they're talking about the singing. They love the singing because the people here, I've heard this, including the men, their mouth is agape at that, including the men are singing with all their might. We believe real men sing real loud. And there's freedom here to lift your hands in worship. You don't have to if you're not comfortable with that. As I've said before, why do we lift our hands to the Father? How many have a little child when you came home from work, dads? You remember this. You got out of the car and your little toddler comes running to you. What's he or she doing? They're lifting their hands. Daddy, pick me up. Daddy, I love you. Hey, even when I see one of my children now and they're all grown, right? First thing we want to do is move in towards an embrace. So that's all we're doing. When we're lifting our hands, we're moving in for an embrace of the Lord. We love him. You don't have to lift your hands. And there's freedom here not to. It's fine. Don't lift your hands as long as you're lifting your hearts. All right? Don't worship without lifting your hearts. If you're not lifting your hearts, there's something wrong. Right? We lift our hearts to him. You know, we've had a short list of worship leaders over the last 36 years that we've been as been a church, Antioch. We started in 1987. And, and, and just four or five people who have led us in singing. And they all have had the freedom to lead in their own way. But each one has encouraged us to worship God with all our might. For that we're grateful. Now worship continues after that as we lift our hearts as we are now. And it's paying attention to the preaching of God's word. This is an important part of worship. The communication of God's word from someone who has been called by God to do that on a Sunday and the listening and the taking in and even taking notes perhaps so that you don't miss what God is speaking that day. More on that in a few minutes. Another freedom to worship is on display every Sunday when we, what? We pass around a microphone and we give it to anyone in here who wants to say something into the microphone as we worship. That's part of worship, guys, right? We are, you're encouraging the rest of us with a testimony or with a thanksgiving. Last, one, last Sunday, if you were here last Sunday, I still can't believe it. The, the, the sharing time last Sunday was at this level, wasn't it? You guys who were here, I mean, it was unbelievable. We didn't want to stop. I mean, we finally had to, right? But, but, but our hearts were full and people were sharing things that built up the body, that matured us as disciples of Jesus Christ. And, you know, I've talked to pastors about this before, and they look at me like I've got two heads. They say, are you serious? You pass around a microphone and anybody in the church can just take it and just start talking and you know what their questions are number one what if the person never stops and then secondly what if they say something wrong they some something that's unbiblical i always say you know what the greater danger is not allowing for it at all because then you're training the church to believe that the sunday morning service is a spectator sport it's for the trained professionals and instead of coming to the service on sunday ready to serve or to share if the lord allows you come ready only to sit and listen. And look, if somebody, if somebody says something unbiblical with open mic, and, and honestly, with all due respect to my Wolfpack fan, it's really, as, it's really as rare as an NC State championship. You know, it just hardly ever happens. I'm so sorry, Brad. But... <laughs> 
But when it does, and it has a few times in 36 years, when it does, one of the elders will gently and lovingly and biblically correct what was, what was said that was off base. You know, we each come, we're supposed to each come to the church as ministers. How many of you understand that you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's been, been hijacked by the church over the years to, to separate the clergy and the laity, to separate the ministers from the people. No, people of God are ministers because you've been called by God to serve Him with your spiritual gifts. Amen? So everybody in here is a minister. So when you come to church on Sunday morning, come expecting to minister. It doesn't mean everybody in here gets to take a turn with a microphone. We really can't do that every Sunday. But what I think what happens is the Holy Spirit puts it on the hearts of the people he wants to share that day and not on the rest of us. And so everybody takes their turn, but not every Sunday. I, Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 14. We won't look at that verse, but Paul said, whenever you come together... He's talking to the church. Whenever you come together, each one has a, and he has a list of things that we might have. Now, part of your ministry might be in the hallway after service, at the park today over lunch, where you walk up to Carol or somebody and say, hey, how are you doing? I've been praying for you. I love you. So glad to see you here at church. That's part of your ministry as ministers of of the gospel here at Antioch, and we can trust the Lord in that. You know, one of the questions in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this. What do you understand by the communion of the saints? Don't think communion like Lord's Supper. First, that believers, one and all, as members of Christ the Lord, have communion with Him and share in all His treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. I love that. So from the beginning of the service, from the time you walk in the door to the time you leave, to the end, we are using our gifts to worship God through praise, through the word, through prayers, through words of encouragement, through giving. Yes, that's part of worship. Through fellowship, we worship Him in spirit. And Jesus said, the Father seeks those who worship Him and also in truth. Now, truth applies to everything we do and say here. Let's be truth speakers and truth doers But it especially applies to what I'm doing right now, to the preaching of the Word. And that's why at Antioch, we treasure expository preaching. I love that quote by Begg. Alistair Begg said, regular expository preaching of the Bible is the staple diet of a healthy church. What is expository preaching? What even does that mean, expository? Well, here are a couple of examples or quotes I like. John Stott in Between Two Worlds, said exposition refers to the content of the sermon, biblical truth, rather than its style. It's not a Roman commentary. To expound scripture is to bring out of the text, that's called exegesis, what is there and expose it to view. The expositor opens what appears to be closed, makes plain what is obscure, unravels what is knotted, and unfolds what is tightly packed. What do you call it when the preacher puts something into the text that's not there? The opposite of exegesis is eisegesis, right? So one example would be, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a verse in Philippians. That's a a powerful Bible verse. How many times have you heard that verse eisegeted, (laughs) right? That means 
I can borrow as much money as I want and go into debt up to my eyeballs because I'm going to build this business. And, and, and so I can do all things. God's going to give me strength to do this. Right? No, the verse, the verse there really has to do with contentment. Paul says, I've learned in all situations, to, whether I'm a, I have plenty of food, whether I don't have any food, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm thirsty, whether I have a place to sleep, whether I don't, whether I'm abased, I'm abased or I abound, he says, I've learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see the context there? So don't isogete the text, exegete it, show us what's in it. You whisk the, the tablecloth off and see, we get to see the beauty of the wood of that table that was made by a master. Uh, the Lord. And then uh, Alistair Begg, unfolding the text of Scripture is such, in such a way that makes contact with the listener's world while exalting Christ and confronting them with the need for action. I like that one because I think every time you hear truth from God's Word, it should provoke you to change in some way. In other words, truth means change. Truth means response. We can't ignore truth. To ignore truth is to respond to it in a way that's not healthy. But to receive it means we respond in a way that is healthy, which is probably going to mean we change something. We change the way we think about the text. We change the way we look at other people. We change the way we think about the church or about expository preaching, right? Because we understand something from scripture that we didn't understand before so why do we teach through books of the bible instead of just interesting topics i mean wouldn't we be able to big build a bigger crowd here if we just had interesting topics sometimes even titillating topics that we taught on week by week and word got out that we were doing these really fun topics and the answer is absolutely we probably have more people that would come to antioch but to what end you know, John Piper, when asked that question in an interview, said, well, I don't have any categories in my brain for relating to people who don't think it's interesting when God talks. We teach through the books of the Bible simply because the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is God talking to us, right? And, and we believe what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3 he said, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see that? The Bible, the whole Bible is profitable. All scripture breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, which means we learn things we don't know that are in the Bible. For reproof, that means we get corrected on things we thought we knew that were in the Bible, but they, they, aren't, they, aren't, they aren't there. Or we thought they meant something they didn't mean, like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We get reproved by God as we understand what Paul really meant there, the context, right? Training in righteousness, that's our behavior. The Bible is profitable teaching us how to walk in righteousness. And for correction, I, I jumped over correction, that's correcting wrong orthopraxy practice, right? Correcting wrong behavior. But don't miss this even more or maybe along with <laughs> the Scripture makes us complete and equips us for, check it, every good work. Every good, that's a lot of good works. As we learn the Bible, we're equipped for good works 
right, in the church, for good works in our homes, for good works in our business, and for good works in the community, in the world that we live. Amazing. So the more we study the Bible as it's taught in its completeness, the more mature we become as followers of Jesus Christ and the more equipped we are to do his works that he created us for even before time began. So that begs the question, right? Why don't more churches adopt expository preaching? Why do most churches go with topical? Well, Alistair Begg said this, the absence of expository preaching is directly related to an erosion of confidence in the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. I think that's right. You know, if we lose confidence in the Bible as a church, then we begin to replace the periods in the Bible with commas. One example, the particular denomination I won't name, that have rejected the clear truth from the Bible that God created two genders, just two, male and female, and that God ordained marriages between one man and one woman. And the Bible says this, and there is a period there, right? There's no comma for later interpretation for cultures that want to go off the rails with that particular teaching of the Word of God. You lose confidence in the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, then all bets are off. What are you going to hear? What are you going to be exposed to? What are your children are going to be exposed to in the church? So we're committed to expository preaching as the norm at Antioch. It doesn't mean that we can never have a topical sermon kind of like this one. But 45 weeks out of the year, I would, I would guess 45 weeks out of the year, we're going through a book of the Bible. And we just finished Genesis. We're getting ready to start 1 Peter. Why is that helpful? Well, because when we go through a whole book, and look, you can do expository teaching on this passage we just read today, 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. You can do an expository message on that where you expose what's in that passage. You talk about what it means and what it means for us, right, according to Paul's uh, use of that passage. But why do we, so why do we go through the whole, why would we go through the whole book of 1 Timothy and not just pick that passage and next week we'll go to, you know, Exodus chapter 3? Well, because when we go through a whole book, we're getting the milk and the meat and the vegetables. Hey, try this experiment if you don't believe this, and the kids are going to love this. For the next month, here's what you should do. Just eat donuts or ice cream. If you're not a donut per family, that's fine. Forget the donuts. Just eat ice cream, right? Or you can do both. It doesn't matter. How many, what do the kids say to that? Yes! Yay! How many know that at the end of 30 days, you would all be sick? You would be weak. You would not be healthy. That is not a healthy diet. As we go through the books of the Bible, we, we get the milk and cookies from the topical, right? But we get meat and vegetables and the milk from books, whole books of the Bible. Working through a book also gives us understanding of the context from which every verse comes, the reason the author wrote the book, the, the reason the author wrote that sentence. Why did Paul say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Why did Jesus say where two or three are gathered, 
there am I in your midst. Does that mean when there's only one Christian in a room, the spirit's not there? Everybody said. How many times do you hear that quoted there? All right, we got, we got more than two or three here, so we know the spirit is here today. Guys, the context there was discipline of a wayward believer. Don't discipline a wayward believer by yourself. Get the elders, get a, a, a team of people who are going to work towards restoration of someone who's gone off track. So it gives us context, the reason the author wrote the book, his intended audience, how it fits into the whole of Scripture. How many took chemistry or some kind of science in college or high school? How about if your chemistry teacher just decided to open the book and take part of a sentence here and read it, and then he'd flip over several chapters and read part of a sentence here, and then he would say, all right, now, from that you can see. Curtis, would, that, would you learn chemistry that way, brother? <laughs> no, you would not learn chemistry from just unconnected parts of a book. You have to do the whole book to understand how it works, right? That's the way it is with the Bible. Working through a book forces us also to deal with difficult issues. You can't preach through the book of James, brutal honesty from the brother of Jesus, without looking at prejudice. We're going to talk about prejudice if we go through James. The rich exploiting the poor. That never happens, right? Using the tongue to destroy others. I know that never happens. Quarrels and fights in the church. That could not happen at Antioch. Humility... I need more of that. An elder's prayer for the sick. Yeah, that's in there too. Keller said this, Tim Keller, we're almost done. Only if your God can say things that upset you will you know you have a real God and not just a creation of your imagination. So an authoritative Bible, that's the point of contradiction of the authority, is not the enemy of a personal love relationship with God that's the point of contact. That's the one with whom we're contacting when we read the Word. It is the precondition. So when we're going through texts and we, get a, we come across a difficult text and we read it, it's God loving us and putting His arms around us and saying, Hey, I want you to know this. I want you to learn this. I want you to walk in this way because this is good for you. It's like you parents say to your children, No, you're going to eat the broccoli because it is good for you. Right? Asked my son Judah one time about broccoli for breakfast. Paul spent three years in Ephesus preaching and teaching. I'm on my last page here, saints. Remember when Paul met with the Ephesian elders on the way back? He's going to Jerusalem. This is in Acts 20. And he, and he calls for the elders from Ephesus to come and meet with him. We're going to talk about elders next week. The elders from uh, Ephesus to come to Miletus and meet with him. And he gives this wonderful dissertation about the church and, and the role of the elders. But one of the things he says to them is he says, Therefore, I testify to you this day, elders, that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He's warning them that wolves are coming to devour the flock. He's warning them that from among their own number, one's going to spring up and draw disciples for, from uh, to himself to try to divide the flock. And he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm innocent of any blood loss here because I've, I've proclaimed you the whole counsel of God. And I, I think without a shadow of a doubt that Paul taught them the book of Genesis. He taught them through 1 Samuel. He, he took them through the books of the Old Testament in the three years he was ministering there so they would know the mind of God and the ways of God and they would be able as a church 
to be healthy. One more quote, then we're done. Tim Keller said this, expository preaching should provide the main diet of preaching for a Christian community. It's the best method for displaying and conveying your conviction that the whole Bible is true. This approach testifies that you believe every part of the Bible to be God's word, not just particular themes and not just the parts you feel comfortable agreeing with. You know, one of the constant themes of the scripture is the missionary heart of God, the call of every, on every believer to make disciples. That leads to a third value of the church. So next week, we're going to talk about missionary calling and a plurality of elders, Lord willing. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this word, Lord, that we hold in our hands or in our phones. We're thankful for it that from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation, it is the word of God that you breathed out through 40 different people over 1,500 years And the whole thing talks about you and points us to Jesus and gives us what we need to live and to love and to serve and to make disciples and to grow a church and to build a church that stands upon the rock of Christ. Help us, Lord, to be encouraged by the things we've heard today, to share that with others and to grow in our love for you and for the body of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about Mark and the books he's written, go to jmarkfox.com.